Let's pray. God, once again, we worship you. We praise you. We give you the honor and the glory that is due your name. You are the only one worthy of our worship. We pray now, God, as we turn to your word, that you would speak to us. We thank you for giving us your word. We thank you for revealing yourself to us. We thank you for what it teaches us about who you are and who we are and what you have done for us. And we pray, God, that this would not just be a, a presentation or a lecture or an opportunity to know about you, but that this would be an opportunity that we actually know you, that we experience you, that we taste and see that you are good. So be with us, we ask. Pray that you would speak through me in this moment. I pray that the truth of your gospel would just be so clearly proclaimed in this moment. And I pray that none of us would leave unchanged because we've had an encounter with you. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated. Good morning. Again, welcome. Uh, we are going to be in John chapter 13 today. John chapter 13, just two verses. Uh, verses 34 and 35. John 13, 34 and 35. Before I read the text, I need to uh, just clarify something that I said last week, uh, which I got a lot of feedback on, several questions, many questions. I said something last week about us having a new pastor in this season of change and transition at Abundant Life Christian Fellowship. Uh, I thought I was being clear that I am the new pastor, but apparently that wasn't clear to everyone else. So I apologize especially for those of you who are disappointed by that and we're hoping someone else was going to be coming up in this place. Uh, it's still me, just me. I know it's been uh, over a year. You don't know, I'm not, not, at all, not at all looking for that. Um, uh, I, still feel, I still feel like the new pastor, even if you don't feel like I am. Uh, I still feel like the new pastor. So that's all I was referring to last week. Just wanted to make sure we were clear on that. All right, John 13. Verses 34 and 35, this is what they say. A new commandment I give to you. This is Jesus speaking to his disciples, sorry. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Uh, we all know the story, or most of us know the story, and this is how it goes. Some young prodigy, uh, some young genius has an idea, a vision that they think is going to change the world. And they are so sure of this idea, they are so sure of this vision that they go all in to make it a reality. It might be that they're working from their dorm room, probably at like Stanford or Berkeley or Harvard or MIT. It might be that they are so sure and so passionate about this idea that they actually drop out of school and in the humble confines of their parents' basement or a garage or the back of their van, they work 20 hours a day to make this dream, to make this idea, to bring this a reality, to bring this vision to life. And because of their supernatural intelligence, their amazing vision, their charisma, their giftings, their work ethic, 
they single-handedly are able to produce something that transforms the world and creates incredible wealth for themselves and many others in the process. It is the all-American story of rugged individualism. And there's actually a name for that story. It is called the founder myth. The founder myth. And we live and work and have church at ground zero for the founder myth. This is like Mecca for the founder myth. It's not a religion, but if it was, this would be it. All you have to do, all we have to do is drive around our neighborhoods and the places that we live and work and go to school and look out the windows and we see Apple and Facebook and Oracle and Google and Tesla and Amazon and those are just the big ones, right? There are hundreds, if not thousands of other examples right here in our backyards of the founder myth, the support that this thing can really happen. But here's the problem with the founder myth. Some of you who are astute have already picked up on it because it is inherent in the name. It is a myth. The idea that one person, because of their intelligence, charisma, gifting, and vision, can create something like Amazon or Facebook or Google or Nike or whatever it is, it is a myth. This is no disrespect at all. To, to Zuckerberg and Jobs and Phil Knight and Bezos and whoever else we know fits into this category of the founder myth. Those people have more intelligence and charisma and gifting in their little finger than I have in my entire body. But to think that they alone could create what has come from their idea is a distortion of reality. Because to get to what we look at today from where they started in their garage or their basement or their dorm room has taken dozens, if not hundreds, if not thousands of other people, all on mission together, all working together, messing up and trying again. It has taken an amazing set of outside circumstances beyond anyone's control that come together at the right time and in the right way to allow this to happen. It takes a whole lot of what the world calls luck. We don't call it that but a whole lot of what the world calls luck for something like Amazon or Facebook or Google to actually come to fruition. The founder's myth is just that. The founder myth is just that. It's a myth. We all have a little founder myth going on in our own lives. It articulates one of the highest values of our culture and one of the great desires of the human heart, and that is that I can do it alone, that I can do it on my own, that I don't need other people, that I don't need their help, that actually if other people get involved, they'll probably just make it harder or screw it up. We all, whether we can articulate it or not, have a little founder myth going on in each of our lives. But again, here's the problem. It's a myth. We can't do life on our own. We cannot, there are too many outside circumstances beyond our control. There's too much that happens. It's, it's like Kimrel, Kimrel got to my sermon before I even got to it and with the song that we sang before this sermon. That's not an accident. We can't do it on our own, even though everything inside of us wants to say that we can. The founder myth is just that. It is a myth. Now, some of it right now, well, let me say this. Because of that, we are in a pan- what I would call a pandemic of loneliness. Everybody is lonely. 
almost everybody is lonely. There's probably a few people who aren't lonely. But for the most part, everybody is lonely. Rich, poor, old, young, whatever, whatever. Everyone is feeling a sense of loneliness. Some of that is circumstantial, of course, right? We're coming off of 18 months of shelter in place, lockdown, everything that, that the pandemic has done. Some of it is geographical, I believe, for the Bay Area. This place is incredibly transient. People come in and go out so fast. I've only, we've only been here three years, and we've already had several families, both in the church and out of the church, who we were like, these are good friends. They've already come and gone. The population density here actually lends itself to loneliness, right? You would think that's counterintuitive, but it is way easier to be anonymous in a huge crowd than it is to be in a small crowd. But it's not only circumstantial, circumstantial it's not only geographical. Some of our loneliness is self-inflicted. Can, can we just be honest? Some of our loneliness is because we have a founder myth going on inside of our lives where we think, I can do this on my own. I don't need other people. I don't need their help. And to be honest, if, I actually, if they actually knew who I really was, I'm not sure people would want to hang out with me anyway. The problem with all of this is it is not the way we were created to be. It does not take very long when we start reading God's word. In fact, it takes one page. In chapter 2, God looks at Adam. And do you remember what he says? It is not good that the man should be alone. And as we get the recorded words of God in the beginning of Genesis, that's the first thing he says is not good. Because all through Genesis 1, he's creating the world and everything in it. And the constant refrain is, it is good, it is good, it is good, it is good. And then he gets to Adam and he sees that he's alone and he says, it is not good that the man should be alone. We are not made to do life alone. We are made to do life with other people. We are made to do life in community we are made to know others and to be known by others. We're taking a pause, uh, as I said last week, on our regularly scheduled programming. We're in a, a long-term series in the Gospel of Mark, which I think has been wonderful. Uh, but as we enter in, as not as we enter in, as we are in this season of transition for our church, we wanted to just plant a flag in the sand of what are the vision and values for this church as we look at what it's going to look like for us to walk forward into the great adventure that God has for us. So last week we talked about vision. What, what, where are we headed? What are we doing here? Why are we here? And we said that abundant life exists to know Jesus and to make him known. That is, the, that is what we are aiming at in this church, regardless of the season, regardless of the circumstances. And for today and for the two weeks following this, we want to talk about the three values that we are going to lean into as a church. The three things that we want to ruthlessly cultivate in order to actually achieve that vision. How do we achieve that vision? We think it's a three-legged stool that will hold it up. We think we need to do these three things really well at this church if we're going to know Jesus and make Jesus known. And so the first value that we are going to talk about today is community. We are going to just emphasize and emphasize and emphasize again in this place that authentic relationships are critical to what it means to be a church to what it means to be the body of Christ. I heard someone say recently, and I thought this was so good. It was actually another pastor. He said, if you are 99% known, you are unknown. And we need to be a place where we know each other and where we are known by each other. So we want to be about intentional, authentic, honest relationships 
We want to be about a, a biblical sense of community here at Abundant Life Christian Fellowship. Now, as we turn to the text that I just read, which is where we're going to root this value today, I want us to understand a couple of things. The first is this. Uh, this idea of community being important for people is not unique to John 13, 34, and 35. It is all over Scripture. And I'm hopefully going to show you that in just a few minutes. But we're just going to root it here because it is one of the clearest places that Jesus lays out, here is my ex expectation for people who, who are my followers. What Jesus is doing in this moment is he is giving his instructions for his followers before he leaves earth and returns back to heaven. It's called the Upper Room Discourse. It takes up about four chapters in the book of John. It is Jesus' final words. It is his final instructions to his followers and his disciples. And did you know that Jesus left a lot of instructions for a lot of different groups? Uh, some of you will know that I am a big Cleveland Browns fan. Did you know that Jesus left instructions for the Cleveland Browns? Don't do nothing till I come back. They've obeyed. They're, they've obeyed. And he also left instructions for his disciples. And that is what we are going to look at today. He said to his disciples, the message is pretty simple. It's pretty clear. Love each other. Love each other. Love each other. Love each other. Be a community. Love each other. And today I want to try and answer three questions as we look through this passage together uh, on community. What is community as Jesus defines it? Why is community a core value here at Abundant Life Christian Fellowship? And how do we do community? What is community? What was the second one? Why? Thank you. One of those days. Why, why is community a core value? And thirdly, how do we do community? So the first one I want to answer is this. What is community as Jesus defines it? Let's look back at these, these two verses. Look at what he says uh, again, starting in verse 34, when we think about what is community as Jesus defines it. Just hear how I inflect this. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another, just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. So what is community? As Jesus describes it, this is not a deep exegetical insight. This is not a trick question. What is community as Jesus defines it? Love one another. And look, I know that Greek has like seven or eight words for love and there's brotherly love and, and erotic love and all this. And we're not going to talk about all those. There's plenty of sermons you can look at. The word here in Greek is agapao, which is what we get our word agape from. It means love. It just means to love. Here's what, uh, here's what the biblical lexicon says about that word. Uh, to have a warm regard for and interest in another. To cherish, have affection for, to love. Jesus is saying, what I want you to do as my body is to love each other. To have affection for each other. To cherish each other to think highly of each other. And again, this is not just his idea, it's all through scripture. Peter says it, 1 Peter 4, 8, above all, keep loving one another earnestly since love covers a multitude of sins. Romans 12, 10, love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. 1 John 4, 7, beloved, let us, let us love one another for love is from God and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Jesus is calling us to know each other 
and to be known. You cannot love someone you don't know. You cannot be loved by someone who does not know you. Community, this body, as Jesus defines it, is built on one foundation, and that foundation is a foundation of love. We all, at some level or another, understand what love is. God calls us to love each other. Uh, I was recently, just this week, I was helping someone uh, through a job application. It was not me, it was not me, it was not me, it was somebody else. (laughs) And um, it was for a Christian organization, and one of the sections on that application uh, was church involvement. And the first question in that section was, where do you regularly attend church? And then the follow-up question was, how do you define regular? Which I thought was pretty, pretty insightful. Now, you got to cut me a little bit of slack here. Because for the last several weeks, actually for the last several months, for like the last year, I have been sitting in this idea of what is church and what should a church be and how should a church operate and what should it look like and how do you build a church and, and, and what is church? So I'm all up in my fields about this stuff right now and I got really worked up about that question. Where do you regularly attend church? Why? Because church is not about regular attendance. Church is not about where do you show up every Sunday for an hour or an hour and a half. If that is the sum total of what we are doing here, we might as well close the doors and shut it down. Because that is not church. If your experience of church is coming to an event once a week, that's not it. Because notice what Jesus doesn't say. He doesn't say a new commandment I give you. Attend a service for an hour every week. He says, love one another. So if all this is, is we come and we show up and we say hi to a few people and then we leave and we don't see or interact with or engage with any of those people until the following week or two weeks later or three weeks later when we get here, that is not church, that is a club. That is how a country club works. That's how a rotary club works. That's how a business networking club works. That's how Orange Theory works. That's how Peloton works. Actually, Peloton isn't even that good. (laughs) This is not a club. It is a community. It is a community where we are called to love each other. The question on that application should not have been, where do you regularly attend church? It should have been, where are you known? Where do you know other people? Where are you engaged and serving? Not where do you attend Church is not about attendance. Community is not gathering in one place to experience an event, say hi to some people, and leave. It is knowing other people, and it is being known by them. Community, church, as God defines it, is marked by us loving each other. It's not easy to do. We'll get to that in a little bit. Okay, so what is community? Second, why is community a core value at ALCF? Why is community a core value at ALCF? I'm, I'm glad you asked, and there's going to be two reasons that I give you. Uh, one is explicit in the text. One is implicit in the text. So look with me again at verse 34. Jesus says to his disciples, a new commandment I give to you. What does that imply? That there's an old commandment. And we just so happen, as we know God's word, that there is an old commandment. It was the Mosaic law. It was the Ten Commandments and all the other rules and regulations for life and living that God gave through Moses to his people, the Israelites, after he had redeemed them from slavery and brought them into the wilderness. And what was the purpose 
of the old covenant? What was the purpose of the Mosaic law? To kill their fun? No. It was to set them apart. The purpose of the Mosaic law, the purpose of the old covenant, was to give the Israelites a unique place in the world. It was to set them apart from all the nations around them, such that when the peoples of the world looked at someone who was a worshiper of Yahweh, they saw things like they didn't work one day a week, and they didn't have little idols in their house, and they said, oh, I know why you do that. It's because you follow Yahweh. It is what marked them out as different from the rest of the world. And so when Jesus says, a new commandment I give to you, it is not an accident that he says what he says in verse 35. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. So what does the new commandment do? The same thing that the old commandment did. It marks out God's people as different. It marks them out as, as worshiping something different than what the rest of the world worships. When a, when, a, when a family like this, as diverse as this is, as different as we all are, when we do more than just show up once a week and say hi to each other, when we do life together and we know each other and we're honest with each other and we still love each other, that paints a picture for the world that they cannot deny that there is something different about us. And what that different thing is is the Spirit of God living inside of us. Community is a core value here at Abundant Life Christian Fellowship because it is the way that we make Jesus known. We love each other well in this room, in this, on, on the live stream, in this body. It shows the world a picture. It, it shows the world that God is who he says he is. So that's, that's one reason community is a core value. Here's the other reason, and this is just kind of implied from this text. It's because we need it. We are made for community. We are made to love others. And here's the catch. I think a lot of us, especially a lot of us who've been in church for a long time, we read passages like this and other ones like it, and we feel like the burden is on us. Like, I need to love other people better. And that is true. And that is a, a proper application of this text. But the flip side of that coin is true as well. And what is that? We need to be loved. We need to receive love. We are not made to be lone rangers. The founder myth is just that. It is a myth. And that is a word for somebody here today. We need to be loved. We need to feel love. And whether you live with a spouse and 10 kids and your in-laws and your parents and 40 relatives who all can show you love at home, or whether you live alone and have been alone for 50 years, this should be a place where you are loved. Because we were made to receive love. Uh, someone that I worked with a number of years ago, uh, he had worked at a different firm, and he told me a story one day that I thought was just amazing. He had worked at an investment, uh, an investment bank, one of the major metropolitan areas of our country, and he told me, one of the founders of the company that he worked at, it was an investment bank, uh, so it was, a, it was a named partner. So it's like, it's like a law firm, right? Like Anderson, Anderson, and I don't know, someone else. It was, it was the names of the partners for the firm. He was one of the named partners at the firm. Hundreds of employees. As you can imagine, investment bank, founder of the company, fabulously wealthy, lived in just a beautiful, enormous home out in the suburbs. One summer, he went for a multi-week vacation with his wife to Europe. Not long after they left, a fire broke out in their home, and it burned to the ground. Fire department couldn't save it. Not a single one of his neighbors knew them well enough to know who they were, 
how to get a hold of them or to send them a message and let them know that their house had burned to the ground. So they returned several weeks later and found out that their house had burned to the ground when the limo pulled into their driveway from the airport because nobody knew them well enough to tell them what had happened. We need people in our lives who can tell us when our house is burning down. Sometimes we're going to be out of town and we just need them to let us know. But sometimes we're going to be sitting in the middle of our living room and our house is burning down around us and we can't see it. And we need, to, we need people who love us enough and know us well enough to say to us, hey, there's something wrong with your house. That takes a level of authenticity and transparency that is very uncomfortable. But we need community who can help us in our time of need. We need to be loved. And one of the ways we do that is we help other people when they are in trouble. Here's the other thing. Uh, 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 people who don't call themselves Christians, people who are, are outsiders to this place, uh, they might they might be attracted to the worship or to the preaching, but probably not. What they certainly will be able to tell is how well we love each other and how well we love them. So if we are going to be serious as a church about knowing Jesus and making him known, catch this, if you want to love your neighbors well, if you want to love your family well, if you want to love your coworkers well, what these, these verses are telling us is start by loving the people in the family of God well. When we love each other well, when we are a real community and not just a club, we paint a picture for the world of who God is and what he has done and what he is capable of. Why? Why is community a core value here? Because we're made for it and because it, it directly leads into our vision and mission for this church, which is to know Jesus and to make him known. Last question I want to try and answer is this. How do we do community? How do we do community according to these verses? Uh, look back with me one more time at these verses. And we're going to talk about one section, just a couple of words that we haven't talked about yet. Back to verse 34. Jesus says, A new command, I, commandment I give to you, that you love one another, just as I have loved you. Just as I have loved you you. Now, we got to read that in context. Remember, I talk about that all the time. We got to understand scripture in its context. So Jesus is saying, I want you to love each other in the same way that I have loved you. Well, how has Jesus loved them? We're in John chapter 13. You can go back to the beginning of chapter 13. You don't even need to read the verses. Most of you probably have a heading in your Bible that says something along the lines of Jesus washes the disciples' feet. So Jesus King of kings, Lord of lords, agent of creation, sovereign, all-powerful, all-knowing, nobody above him or beside him, everything below him. At the beginning of John chapter 13, he gathers his disciples together. He takes off his outer garments. He literally strips down to his underwear, which is what the lowliest servants and slaves wore. He gets down on his hands and knees. He takes his disciples' nasty, filthy, hairy, dirty feet that are full of bunions and calluses and warts into his hands. You get the picture? And he washes them. That is how Jesus 
loved his disciples. And then he gets up and he says a few things and then he says this, a new commandment I give to you, love each other just as I have loved you. So how do we do community? It's not, you're not gonna like the answer. We take on the form of a servant. We take on the form of a servant. We die to ourselves in order that we might serve others. You know what I think is so poignant about this season that we find ourselves in? Uh, I think the greatest roadblock, I think the greatest challenge to us being the kind of community that Jesus describes in these two verses is our masks. And now I know someone wanted to shout amen, but that is not a political statement because I'm not talking about the masks that we're wearing on our faces. Those are annoying. They're an inconvenience. You know, you can't hear what people are saying. It'll be awesome someday when we can take them off. Yeah. I'm talking about the masks we wear on our hearts. Because long before we started wearing masks on our faces, we've been wearing masks on our hearts. If we are going to be the kind of community that loves one another with an agape love, with the kind of love that Jesus showed to his disciples, we cannot do that if we continue to hide ourselves from others. If we are 99% known, we are unknown. It is terrifying to sit across the table from someone at Pete's or to sit in someone's living room or in their backyard with half a dozen other people in a growth group or to sit on a Zoom call with eight other people from this church or, or from your community. It is terrifying to look them in the eyes and to say, this is who I really am. I struggle with porn. I have an anger problem. I am not treating my spouse the way they should be treated. I, I, am, I, am, I am dealing with anxiety that I can't overcome. I am, I am depressed. It is terrifying to expose yourself in that way. And that terror is only superseded by the relief that you feel when someone looks back at you and says, me too. I've been there too. I know what you're walking through. Here's what God's word has to say about that. Here's what helped me when I was going through that. That is what we are aiming at here at Abundant Life. We are made to know others and to be known by others. Not to pretend we're somebody around other people that we are not when no one else is around. We cannot know each other if we are not honest with each other. And it, you, know, you know what doesn't paint a great picture of God for the world? A bunch of people who gather once a week and fake it with each other. You know what paints an amazing picture of God for the world? A bunch of broken, sinful people walking through all kinds of garbage and coming alongside each other and saying, me too. I've been there. We're going to get through this together. We are made to know and be known, not wear a mask, showing people that we've got it all together. And that is a challenge in the Bay Area. It's a challenge everywhere. 
but Bay Area is like America on steroids. Our images here, our reputations, what people think of us is so important and it is so hard to take the mask off of our soul and say, this is who I really am. But listen, we're all dealing with something. We all got junk. And so if any one of us can sit in a conversation like that and be like, oh, sorry, I don't know what that's like. I'm not sure what your, your problem is. You're a liar and you haven't taken off the mask because we're all going through something and we are not going to make it unless we help each other get there. It's hard. It's awkward. People are weird. People are awkward. You're weird and you're awkward just like I am. No offense, we love you. <laughs> People can be mean and cold and unkind, Christians more so than anybody. But may not our hearts be hardened because of one or two or three bad experiences with someone who calls them a follower of Jesus. May we constantly be showing each other inside this community that we are all broken and we're all broken together and our only hope is Jesus Christ. That doesn't happen because we just decide to, to flip a switch and all of a sudden we're going to start acting like that. The only way that happens is through the power of God's spirit working inside of us. And so may we plead with him that he pours out his anointing on this body and continues to develop us into Christian maturity such that we are not just a group of people who gathers together once a week or a couple times a week, but we are a, a family who knows each other and is known by each other. It is what we were made for. I want to finish with this. Hebrews 12, 1 and 2. This is what they say. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Do you see what verse 2 says? Looking to Jesus, the founder. He dropped out of heaven. He started it in a barn. Actually, it was probably like a lean-to. It looked like he had lost everything when he was crucified on a cross. But he had the comeback of all comebacks when he rose from the dead. And you talk about something that changed the world. He turned the world upside down. He is our only hope. He is our only hope of salvation. And we need each other to run the race that he has put before us. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, the writer of Hebrews is saying we need each other to do what God has called us to do. This is the cloud of witnesses. This place gives you what Peloton and the country club and CrossFit cannot give you. It is a community based on love, a love that laid down its life for those who it served by dying on a cross. You're not going to find that anywhere else. We need each other. So here's the question I want to finish with. Two questions, actually. When you look back on this season of your life, one year from now, five years from now, 10, 20, 30, if God gives you 50 more years from now, when you look back on this season of your life, what is going to stand out? What are you going to remember? The bonuses, the promotions, the new car smell, the, the fancy dinners out? No, you are going to remember the people. 
You're going to remember the people that you were doing life with, that you were walking with, the people who were there when you needed them, the people who knew you. And so, so, so next week or next month or next year, when the next storm rolls into your life, remember Mark chapter 4, we just talked about it a few weeks ago. What are you going to need in that moment? People, relationships. You are going to need people who can love you and serve you and come alongside you and remind you of who God is and what he has done for you and what he has called you to. It is about people. It is about people. It is about people. So here's my challenge. Don't wait to dig in. Don't wait. It is so easy in this moment to say, well, I just, I'm just going to wait till things get back to normal. It's a new normal. We don't know what that's going to look like. Don't wait. Don't wait for us to find what the new place is going to be that we're meeting at as a church. It's too long. Dig in now. Engage now. We are doing church now. There is ministry happening now. It may not be the way you like it on Zoom or hybrid or masks on, but we have a community here, and we need that community. The only way we are possibly going to know Jesus and make him known is if we have real, authentic relationships with each other. If this is a place where we are known and where we know other people. May God make it so. Let's pray. God, we thank you for this day and we thank you for this time. We thank you for the, 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 the promise of your word that you have, you have done for us what we cannot do for ourselves, that you have saved us and redeemed us. And all you ask us to do is live in grateful response to that. God, we recognize and acknowledge that you have made us to know others and to be known. You've made us to be in relationship with people. And God, so many of us are lonely and we are longing for the very thing that we can find in this place. And so we ask that you would allow all of us, the elders and the staff and anyone who considers Abundant Life Christian Fellowship their home, empower us to create a real, authentic relationship factory where people cannot help but deny that there is a love here they have not felt anywhere else. It is only done through the power of your spirit. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, we're now going to do what we've started to do in the last few weeks, and we're going to sing together in worship again. And this is going to be a song, this is going to be a time of response. And so as we stand to worship, you don't have to stand quite yet, but just in a minute. As we stand to worship, if this is a moment that you have any business that you'd like to do with God, this is the moment to do it. If you need to talk to him about something, if you need to ask for forgiveness for something, if you're like, I need the kind of community that Pastor Gary talked about today, and I don't even know where to begin with that, talk to God about that in this moment, and then talk to me and one of the staff or one of the elders after the service. This is a moment to do business with God. If you don't know who he is, if you don't know what it means to call him Savior, there is no better time than now than to call on his name and make him Lord and Savior of your life. I would love to talk to you about what that means and what it looks like. So let's stand, let's respond to God in worship, and then we'll, I'll be back to finish the service.
Uh, now, part of my job and part of the job of the staff and the elders at this church is to create spaces, to create opportunities where this type of community can happen and develop and flourish. And so we're actually going to do that right now. Uh, we have, this, I'm sorry for those of you on the live stream that you can't participate in this. Um, we have hired a snow cone truck to come here for after service. You can clap for that. I mean, that is... Uh, it, I'm not sure if it's here yet. It will be here in the next few minutes if it's not. Uh, but here's my, here's my challenge. If generally your rhythm is to just kind of bug out of here and, and go and get in your car and head out to lunch, I understand that because I love lunch. Uh, but my challenge is maybe hang out for a little bit and have an awkward conversation with someone between masks, you know, under masks, uh, eating snow cones. Uh, we would love for this to be an opportunity that we actually just build a little bit of community uh, right here amongst our church. I know it's lunchtime. I know you're hungry. I know you got kids. Uh, I'm telling you, there is no better way to prepare for lunch than just a bunch of liquid sugar in your stomach. And so uh, we would invite you to, uh, to stay, hang out, have a little bit of extended maybe time of fellowship. As I said a few weeks ago, uh, what we've really done is just moved our meet and greet time from the middle of our service to the end of our service outside. And we're just adding some treats in today. So uh, it's covered. We're paying for it. So just, you know, like my personality, I'd be like, well, how much is this going to cost me? And we got it. Uh, we just want people to actually know each other and be known by each other. So we'd love for you to hang out for a little while. Uh, and again, if you're new or visiting with us, I'd love to meet you outside uh, after this service. Please receive the benediction. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace until our Savior comes and then forever. Amen. You are loved, you're prayed for, and you are sent.